Just a heads up that this podcast contains themes of family violence, which may be triggering. If you're listening in Tasmania where this podcast is made and you need support now, you can contact the free Family Violence Counselling and Support Service on 1800 608 122 or you can call the 24-hour National Support Service on 1800 RESPECT. If you're in an emergency, please contact triple zero. This podcast also contains some legal information which is not intended to be legal advice. You will find a list of legal services that you can contact for individual advice in the show notes. It's amazing, you know, because often women don't really realise they're being sexually abused. It's unlikely that they'll come in and just say to me, I'm being sexually abused. Because a lot of sexual abuse is so hard to grasp. Now, I didn't really get what that meant, that sexual abuse was hard to grasp before doing these interviews. And I'm going to give an extra trigger warning before this episode in particular. And the reason I'm doing that is because Deborah Thompson, who we've got to know throughout this podcast and has experienced family violence, told me this. I'm still suffering from trauma regarding the sexual abuse. So I had nightmares. That's what the nightmares going to be about. By the end of the episode, we'll understand that much better than many of us have until now. Hey, it's Penny Terry and you're listening to Rule of Thumb. It's a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania that helps us know what to do when we recognise something isn't right in an intimate relationship. There will be parts of this episode that are really tough and descriptive and not right for everyone to hear. So just have a think about whether you're in the right headspace and place to listen right now. There are also other parts of this episode that will get us thinking about everyday things that happen in Australian culture that we laugh about without really considering if they're okay. And that's where we're going to start because that's where sexual abuse does start. Just brings me back to one woman that I talked to who said that everyone in her mother's group consented to sex at least once a week just to get it over and done with uh, as a result of nagging and that's how it was described. So, and she said, well, none of us would consider that to be rape or sexual assault but it wasn't um, an activity that they wanted to be engaging in. Yeah. It's pretty hard to digest that nagging for sex might be a type of sexual abuse. It's a trope that's just rolled out all the time. The voice you heard is Yvette Seetel, the CEO of the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. And along with Principal Solicitor at the service, Elise Whitmore, we talked this out, starting with why people would find this hard to take on. It's so entrenched, Penny, that we might not even see it anymore. And it's one of those, oh, you know, it's his birthday um, or his footy team won or it's a celebratory thing that um, he has an entitlement or an expectation um, that he will receive sex and that she then has the onus to perform on the basis of that entitlement. What do you want blokes to think about as they listen to this, this episode? 
I want them to think about how they engage with their partners, um, not not just sexually, but in terms of consent, in terms of um, the equal position that parties should be on when they are in a relationship, in terms of respecting the boundaries that their partners set around themselves and that once someone has set a boundary and that is, I've said no, I don't feel like it, um, that they step back from that. Now, I feel like we are talking more about consent, but perhaps it's usually in the context of new relationships. What about consent in long-term relationships? And it can also feel like it's always women talking about this stuff. So let's hear it explained by a bloke. You've already met Brad Beitzel in other episodes. He's now a social worker and counsellor who works with people in abusive relationships. And I wanted to know if it is normal for men to nag for sex. What's normal? It's uh, in the psychological field, what's normal? Do I hear it a lot? I do. Um, Do I hear women placating men to shut them up? I do. Do those women see that as sexual abuse? They don't. Would the court see it as sexual abuse? You could ask um, their best beetle that. I'm sure they wouldn't. Do I see that as uh, being abusive? I do. And most women I've spoken to in my, my role as a, as a counsellor, they, they, they would report that they just had the sexes to shut him up. That's uncomfortable. Not respectful, is it? Uh, no means no. And is it common? Sadly, I think it is common, Penny. And um, there's also this, uh, this perception with men that, um, uh, that they've, they've got more of a sex drive than women. I'm not a sexologist, but um, what sort of man wants to have sex with their partner who's not in the mood, is what I'd say to them. And to make jokes about it so as it makes you feel better about the shame you must feel afterwards just continues that cycle of non-responsibility, which leads to more nagging, which leads to another episode of that. I'd say to those guys, if you want great sex, What can you do? Take responsibility to create better opportunities so as your partner's in a better frame of mind. And you you want great sex, other ways around it. And nagging is not the way. It's um, another form of control and um, unpleasant, awful versus uninhibited sex, which can be physically wonderful as well as emotionally intimate. So Brad doesn't shy away from saying what he thinks. And if you've listened to the other episodes, you'll know that Brad didn't always think like this. He talks about how he now thinks it's almost impossible for men not to behave in abusive ways in Australia because of the culture around manhood. And in the other episodes, he also talks about how he's seen that for men, trying to take on some of this stuff can lead to self-loathing at the start. But here's how he explains what he sees at the other end. It's just so rewarding. It's, it's a whole new way of living. In some ways, it is like giving up smoking and your lungs start to breathe. And here I'm saying your soul will breathe with uh, lots of self-care and, and, and self-kindness. 
and forgiveness. I wonder if the first eight minutes of this episode has given you some stuff to have a conversation about with your friends. I will warn you that we are now about to talk about long-term sexual abuse. Remember Deb Thompson? She experienced family violence in her relationship for 17 years and there was sexual abuse. If you haven't listened to the other episodes, Deb lives with a neurological condition which affects her speech and you might hear that when she talks. You'll also hear how hard this was for us to talk about. But as Deb explains here and in her book, it doesn't mean we shouldn't. For me, the sexual abuse started very early on in the relationship. And this might be the sexual attention might be uh, misconstrued as romance or they adore you and can't keep their hands off you. So I'd like to talk about that because I'd like other victims to understand that um, um, not being able to keep keep their hands off you is quite different to sexual abuse, um, which started with him telling me what I had to wear. And um, whenever... We had um, intercourse, I guess. Um, Deb, in just hearing you struggle for the words, I mean, it just reminds us how hard this stuff is to talk about. It really is. It's quite personal, but um, it would always come from him feeling insecure because we we'd go out and other males would talk to me or pay attention to me and he'd think that I was about to take off with them. So he'd always insist on um, sex when we came home and I could never say no and that was abuse. It wasn't rape as such, um, not violent rape. And looking back on it now, it was rape. It was non-consensual sex. And he would often use that. Um, we have intercourse three nights a week for almost the entire time. And he'd use that as a form of control. He'd make me have intercourse or... Um, um, I'd have to masturbate him every other night. And the three times I did say no, um, he ended up raping me violently and um, or else he'd beat me. He'd punch me and throw me on the ground and kick me and, and say, we're having sex whether you want to or not. This is what a good wife does. Was that confusing, that line of that's what a good light wife does? It really was. And I say in the book, um, I ended up justifying his behaviour because it was too frightening to really examine. Um, I justified it as he found me irresistible. And I ended up believing that in the end. I just kept on telling myself, until that last um, 
sexual abuse incident where he punched me in the face, things like that, they're a little different to um, other incidences. This is, sexual abuse is something that must be very hard for other people to pick up on and to be able to step in and take any kind of action. I wonder if there's anything that you can, I guess, help us to understand or help us to look out for or help us to think about that might support a woman who is experiencing sexual abuse in her relationship. I think go by your instinct. A victim knows when um, sexual behaviour by their partner is loving or non-loving and abusive. We we know, and I knew that I couldn't um, bring myself to address that because I was afraid of him. I um, just took it all on myself as my responsibility to try and fix. So I think what I'd say to a victim, firstly, as soon as you get an inkling, as soon as you feel that this isn't right, this isn't love, do something, speak to someone, don't be ashamed. There's shame's all of their theirs to keep. You have never done anything to warrant that kind of abuse or any any sort of abuse. Speak to a friend or call up a sexual abuse service. They've seen and heard everything. I don't think anything would surprise them. Don't keep it to yourself because it's one of the worst things that um, can happen to a person because it is very personal and the act itself involves two people um, being naked or near naked and very close to each other. It can be devastating mentally. Um, I'm still suffering from trauma regarding the sexual abuse. If I had nightmares, that's what the nightmares going to be about. Um, all of us have the basic human right to be loved and feel safe in our relationships. And, um, yeah, and to leave as quickly as you can to um, get the right back to live your life without yes. How are you going? Every time I hear this, it just reminds me how much damage this does. It's damaging our people, our community, and none of us are okay with it. In Tasmania, where this podcast is made, there is the Sexual Assault Support Service, SAS, in Hobart, Laurel House in northern Tasmania, and the Centre Against Sexual Assault, or CASA, in the northwest and west. Plus, there are national support services like 1800RESPECT, and all the details are in our show notes. And wherever you live, there are people who can help. So how do women talk about this with support services? And what can we learn? Torna Pittman is a counsellor within gender equality and also a researcher about family violence. And everything we've heard so far is what she hears. 
so women might come in and they'll say things like, um, you know, I, he gets moody or grumpy or sarcastic or mean if I don't give him sex, so I just give in or I just roll over because he keeps nagging and pestering and harassing me. And so I just feel like I have to because it's too hard not to. It's like whether or not you want sex, I do. And if there's something, there's something wrong with you if you don't. So for an example, I'm thinking again of many of my the people I've talked to over the years. They've said that it's really likely that they had sex in the relationship before they were ready because he wanted it and made her feel bad for not giving out and then he would also expect sex when and how he wanted it that may not be physically outright abusive and violent and rape but it might just be I want sex you know this times per week and I want you to be more like this and never thinking to ask the woman what do you want? It's not a discussion. It's an expectation that you will meet my sexual needs and if you don't, there's something wrong with you. So women have laboured with this ever since the rule was that when you got married, you had, you know, this part of the marriage contract was to provide your husband with sex. You couldn't say no. So that can be sort of low level, if you like, sexual abuse if there is such a thing. And then it gets worse where, you know, the, the sexual abuse can mount up to being um, literally raping her or subjecting her to violent sex that she doesn't want and that hurts. It actually injures her and it might make her bleed and it might make her feel really uncomfortable and he won't stop. And then he makes her feel bad for that too. You know, what's wrong with you? And instead of saying, yeah, I was out of line, I'm really sorry. But the whole sexual relationship is what's important. How does he talk about her body sexually? Does he describe, like a woman will say to me, he, t- he tells me my body's wrong or my, there's a sexual ownership. So sexual abuse is many layered, it's multi-layered and it can go just from nag, nag, nag. If you don't give me sex, I get cranky and annoyed until you do. And really what should be happening is a proper discussion. I'd imagine this is going to be really hard to be a bystander on or to notice that this stuff's going on because you're not there. Mm. Is there anything that people on the outside can do? I think it's actually, you know, people are sort of really thinking to themselves, oh, God, you know, we don't intervene in people's sexual relationship. Like that's really private. But so many women have said to me, I didn't realise I had any sexual rights and I didn't realise it until someone said to me, you know, it's got to be good for both of you. If you don't want to have sex, he needs to understand that and respect that. And so how are things for you in that area? And just asking about it. Now, obviously, they may not tell you and they may not want to go there, but they will think about it. They may even get huffy with you, like, oh, for goodness sake, get out of my... But they will think about it because women have said to me in all my research, they've always said it wasn't until someone said, hey, you do know that sexual relationship doesn't go like that. It really is about a two-way thing. Again, we're getting some words and perhaps also the permission that will help us have these conversations. And there's another bit that might help. 
And that's understanding what is illegal. So let's get the lawyers back in. Here's Elise and Yvette. Sexual assault is something where you need to have provided consent um, in order to engage in it. Um, If you haven't provided consent, then it is a sexual assault. The issue becomes how that consent has been given, whether a person has actually had a choice to start with, what are the consequences of both of those decisions, and if the consequences are worse for saying no, then that consent might not have actually been true or have been an autonomous decision that someone has made. How common is sexual assault in family violence cases? I think that that's really hard to know, Penny, because it's not disclosed and it hasn't really been asked about a lot by practitioners leading up until this point. Um, We don't prioritise it as practitioners when we're asking about family violence. How come? Because I think that it's probably been seen as a private issue. Um, and that disclosures of sexual abuse and sexual assault are really difficult to make, but they're also really difficult to talk about. So it's been an area of the law that sat, I guess, quite uncomfortably with a lot of um, lawyers, and it hasn't been traditionally seen as part of the definition of family violence. And even if we look at how uh, the funding for sexual assault services uh, during COVID-19, it was a little bit later than the rest of us in the family violence sector and there was a little bit of a a fight for that recognition that uh, sexual assaults are part and parcel of what family violence looks like. So what are the stories that you hear? What does sexual abuse look like in the family violence context? So in a family violence context, Penny, um, I've had women report to me that they have had to engage in sexual acts in exchange for money for groceries. Um, I have had women report to me situations where they have had to um, wear particular clothing um, in order to engage in particular sexual acts and all of these things are happening without that person's consent, without their them wanting to engage in those activities but knowing that the risk of not doing that outweighs um, the decision to participate. Is this a tricky thing to bring up in the courtroom? Is it a tricky thing to prove in the courtroom in a family violence context? Well, again, sometimes there can be, you know, that lack of evidence that we've talked about with other forms of of family violence other than physical abuse. If there's been a passage of time between the actual acts or the incidents of sexual assault um, and the reporting, then, then often a common court tactic is to question the veracity or the truth of the allegations. Um, And the other things to think about when we think about um, sexual abuse uh, in relationships is uh, forcing somebody to have a termination or, you know, withholding funds so that somebody can have a termination. And there is a case that I um, think about too where, you know, there was a hole put in a condom. Uh, repeatedly, which resulted in the birth of a child. And that's a form uh, of sexual abuse as well. And it's something called reproductive abuse. It is putting someone in a position where they have to have a baby. It's a form of control um, and it's a form of attachment that they have with that person that they're trying to cement in a way. 
And so by having a baby, then we are attached for a long term. And if you want to get away, so to speak, it is going to be a much more complex process. You have tied yourself to someone for a very long period of time when you have a child with them. And we see the effects of that through the advice that we give in relation to parenting order applications um, and processes around um, setting up safe arrangements for children later down the track. And we, we hear some of these stories that mothers, obviously, they love their children um, but had they have been in a position to make an informed decision at the time, they might have made a different decision about whether to have that child with that person. I guess the next question is is for, you know, friends and family supporters, people that you might see in your day-to-day life, how are you likely to recognise this stuff? I think this is one of those forms of family violence, Penny, where disclosure is probably the only way anyone else is going to know about this. And the most important thing to remember when or if someone makes a disclosure of sexual abuse or sexual assault to you is to believe them, is to help link them in with services if they would like to do that. Um, Talk to them about their options of making a report to police, but also understand that that is something that people who have been survivors of this type of family violence often will decide not to proceed or pursue that as an option, but they still will need the emotional and psychological support um, after they've made a disclosure like that. You've made it to the end, and this episode has been tough, but you listened. And that might be for all sorts of reasons. Amongst the tough stuff, we've heard things that we can all do, whether it's stopping those jokes about nagging for sex or stopping the nagging, or supporting a friend to find help, or calling out the systems, or taking on a responsibility if you're part of those systems. Next time on Rule of Thumb, we're going to discuss a type of family violence which you may not have considered, but when you do, you'll get it. Um, especially for women from uh, certain countries. They they have this sense of, um, I guess, responsibility that you have to stick with your husband, um, with your partner, um, and hoping, you know, for the best that things will change. Until someone says to you, you know, you're entitled to your own beliefs. Your own beliefs are just as valid as his. Your ways are just as valid as his. Your culture, your... Your, um, your group, they're all just as valid as his. We'll hear about cultural and spiritual abuse on the next episode of Rule of Thumb, a podcast for the Women's Legal Service Tasmania. This podcast is funded by the Tasmanian Government's Department of Communities as part of the COVID-19 Family Violence Response.